We'll find our text for this morning's message in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verse 8 through verse 20. A familiar passage to you, no doubt, especially at this time of year. It has a lot to say to us. It has a wonderful message for us in many ways. And hopefully we'll pull some of that out this morning. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Bible says, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, come before you and we are thankful for your grace and your mercy and all that you've poured upon us allowing us to come here and to meet together with you this morning. I pray that you've received glory from the songs of praise that we've lifted up and that you would receive glory even now as we come to the time of the message. I ask that you take the distractions that would keep the word from us, take them from our minds and from our hearts. Lord, help us to have good ground in our hearts that the word may penetrate and bring forth fruit. I ask that you do that work by your Spirit a work that I cannot do, but that you can, and that you would simply give me the words to say. Again, I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. So I, I have no doubt that there have been times in history when people have heard news, whether it's about an event or about a person or something going on, and they have said, this is the best news ever. Best thing I could ever hear, and that news has brought them joy. Some things that come to mind in recent history would be the end of World War II. I'm sure that was good news to all that, are, that heard it. The soldiers are coming home, the war is over. Or the fall of the Berlin Wall marked many things. The end of conflict and the bringing of peace in the area. I remember... Some things, Desert Storm being over. I remember hearing of the capture of Osama bin Laden and other things like that which we heard and we say, that's good news. That's great news. I'm so glad I heard that. We love good news, don't we? Somebody comes up to you and tells you, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Sometimes we would rather not hear the bad news. We want to hear the good news. And keep it at that. We like to hear good things. It makes us happy. It warms our heart. I'm sure you've had your own good news in your own life, right? She said yes. Or it's a boy. It's a girl. Or you got the job. We've heard things like that. that sometimes we say it's the best news ever. But I think we all know this morning... None of that compares to this news. None of those things that we have heard compares to this announcement here. What the herald angels proclaim this night is the best news ever. It's the best news ever because of who it is about and what it means for all of humanity. 
This is the best news ever about the greatest gift ever, and that is Jesus. The gift that changes everything. We're focusing this month on the true gifts of the holidays. That's our focus for the Sunday morning series. And kind of using 2 Corinthians chapter 9, says there, I believe it's in verse 6, Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. That our hearts ought to be thankful, our hearts ought to be full for this unspeakable gift, this inexpressible gift of Christ that He has given us. And we can get focused on a lot of other things, especially at this time of the year, and very materialistic or even very sentimental in some things. But all that's going on does not compare to the gift of Christ. Last week we looked and considered the gift of His love. How God gives us true love. How God loves us so much that He would give His Son and that He would uh, provide for us a Savior that because of God we really know what love is. And it fulfills that longing to be loved and to, to feel love within our own hearts. We find fulfillment of love in God and in Christ. This week, I want to focus on the gift of joy. Joy. You see, through Jesus, God has not only given us the gift of His love, but He's given us the gift of joy. He's given us the gift of happiness. Happiness. That's a loaded conversation, isn't it? If you were to ask ten different people what makes you happy, you'll get ten different answers. For some, it's a feeling of fulfillment or For some, it's a feeling of accomplishment. For some, it's family, love even. For some, it's stuff, experience, possessions. It runs the gamut when you talk to people. What makes you happy? But the bottom line is, and we need to face it right from the get-go, we all want to be happy, don't we? I want to be happy. I want to be happy in this life. I want to feel happy. You do. I do. We all want to feel happy. You see, down deep, we desire joy in our lives, and whether we know it or not, we're looking for joy in every area of your life. If you don't like your job, you look to make it better, don't you? Or you look for a better one. If you're not happy in your marriage, you seek to make it better because you want to be happy. And people are wanting instruction on this. Books on happiness line the shelves of bookstores and they sell like hotcakes, don't they? Self-help. If you get down to the bottom of every self-help book, it's going to be happiness, joy, feeling fulfilled. There was an oh-so-amazing lyricist, I believe his name was Bobby McFerrin, who put it into very profound words when he told us, don't worry, be happy. And each one of you are probably whistling the tune in your heads. It's been stuck in mind for a week. Why did that song hit a chord? Because it's talking about something we all want. Just as much as we love being loved, just as much as we love feeling loved, we love to be happy, don't we? We're searching for that. We want that in our hearts, in our very lives. It's something that's hardwired in us. We have within us, being made in the image of our Creator, a capacity to feel joy, a capacity to feel happiness, and to enjoy that. We love to laugh, right? Some of the best memories that you have are probably sitting around with people laughing, having a good time. Smiling. We love to smile. We love to laugh. You can see that in babies. Right from the get-go, when they laugh, it's one of the sweetest things ever, right? And they find just about everything funny, so we try to make them laugh because we love to laugh and they're happy. It's from, a, from childhood on we're searching for this. They don't need to teach them that, do you? You don't have to teach a child how to laugh. You don't have to teach a child how to smile, it's in us from birth on. 
And from childhood on, we begin now a lifelong pursuit of joy. Why do you think kids play in the mud? Because it makes them happy. Why do you think they go around stomping in mud puddles or uh, rain puddles? When you told them not to, they're going to get their shoes wet. Why do you think they invented rain galoshes for kids, probably, that want to go out and stomp in rain puddles? Why? Because it makes them happy. We seek to make ourselves happy. And this starts from a child on. That's why kids want a dog for Christmas. That's why adults want a dog for Christmas. Because it makes us happy, right? We desire to be deeply happy, deeply joyful, deeply satisfied. The problem is we go about it the wrong way too often, don't we? The desires for joy are misguided. And the attempts to, to get happiness, the attempts to feel that, to feel joy, too often have the wrong focus. Just look around in the current culture and you'll see it. Listen to any lyric of a current uh, song on the, uh, what's that, Billboard Top 100 or whatever? I think that's what it's called. I browsed through just a few, and it tells the tale of society. They're either talking about joy that they lost and they want to get back to, or they're talking about living in the moment. Let's just live it up right now and feel what we can feel and be happy right now. Who cares about yesterday? Who cares about tomorrow? It's all about what we want. Look at the, con uh, take a consideration of the current issues that are going on. These hot button things. People don't like the president because he doesn't make him happy. So let's circumnavigate the laws of the land to get him out because I don't like him. He doesn't make me feel good. I think it would be a pretty good estimation of the bottom line of some things going on. Or hot button issues like homosexuality or transgenderism, abortion. Some of these things that are, are real boiling pots in society, if you look down at the very underlying issue, it's probably something like, I want to do what I want because it makes me happy. Don't say anything else about it. This brings me some form of happiness, though it's not true joy and it's not true happiness, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes, but this brings me happiness. I want to do it. Don't say anything else about it. You see, it's a quest for joy that we all have in one form or another. The, the message of society right now is if it feels good to you, do it. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, then by all means, you are entitled to do it. You deserve to be happy, whatever form that takes, and you should do what you want. And don't let anything say, anybody else say anything different, right? And oh, so many do just that. Living in ways, looking for things, doing things that make them happy. This is not new to humanity by any means. If you look across all of human history, it plays that out. That man and women are looking to be happy and they're going to do whatever they want. It came to, to be a, a, um, a philosophy, if you want to call it that, an official kind of way of thinking under a guy named Epicurus. I don't know if you've ever heard of an Epicurean philosophy but basically, he put it into words some 400 years before Christ came along and said, this is all there is, so live it up. Eat, drink, tomorrow we die. This pleasure here in this body is the ultimate. And it's taken hold like wildfire. It just seems to be more on display in this American culture. We see it everywhere. It's in front of our faces. 
But it's not new. It's something that's deep in the heart of humanity. We want to be happy. We are looking for ways to do it. The thought of today seems to run along these lines. There is no accountability to anybody but yourself. You answer to you and you alone. This life is short, so live it up. Live fast, die young. Enjoy as much as you can of whatever you might desire. Don't worry, be happy. And you'll, you'll see this go a couple different ways in people's life. They'll take, kind of seems like one or one of two paths, which are kind of polar opposites. I hope you, you'll see what I mean. The first path that many take is a total gratification of the flesh. Whatever desire I have, whatever I want to do that makes me feel good, this body feel good, I'm going to do it. It's exactly what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. Lasciviousness is an old word, just basically means sexual immorality and all the things that go along with that. Paul is writing some 2,000 years ago to say, hey, don't walk like the world walks. They're just doing whatever they want. Greedy, filthy, immoral. Well, 2,000 years later, the story's still the same. And so many follow that path. This shows itself in substance use, substance abuse, promiscuity, having as many relationships as you can and not caring about them, or the obsession with gain and wealth and possession. Living like a rock star. That idea of living like a rock star is the ultimate. Most people don't, but they would love to. That's one path, just a total giving in to whatever this flesh wants, whatever feels good. On the other hand, and maybe it's as we age or mature a little bit, you, you see people who are seeking happiness in more stable ways. That's the self-help crowd. Education is now uh, primary, or diet, or balance or social activism, trying to reach out and make a difference. Some people find happiness in that. They find happiness in how much they can learn, how much they can balance in their lives. It's as if they're drawn to some sense of morality or self-control or moderation, even, even denying the draws to fleshly gratification. You see this in a lot of middle or excuse me, in Eastern religions, where you deny the self for enlightenment. Why? Because it makes them happy. It makes them feel good. You got these two kind of major paths, just a, a, a life of fleshly gratification, and you got this other, I guess if you want to call it more balanced view, I think most people we're going to meet in life are somewhere right in between. They got their times of partying and then they got a times that they try to have some personal balance. Maybe they go out and, and go out on the town. I don't even know if that's a, a phrase anymore, but maybe they get, go drinking and, and take drugs or do whatever and then they kind of come back to a, a little bit more balanced lifestyle and you see people kind of floating in between the two. I think most people are somewhere right in there. Listen, it doesn't matter whether you're on one path or the other. It's all the same goal. Joy. Happiness. Feeling that down deep inside. Searching for it in different ways, but with the same goal. And listen, 
That is, it doesn't matter um, if, it's, if it's a lifestyle that we would say is totally sinful or one that's less sinful, or even someone who's in church. All of us are seeking to fulfill a desire put there by us, put there in us by our Creator. This is something that is in us. Who, by the way, is the creator of joy? You understand that? God made happiness. God made joy. He gave us the desire and the capacity to feel pleasure, to feel joy, to feel happiness. And if He gave us that, then that means He wants us to be happy. God wants you this morning to be joyful. And truly so. Now at first, that might sound off if, as you hear that. God wants me to be happy. I thought it wasn't about my happiness. I thought it wasn't about my joy. Well, first of all, you might have a skewed view of what it means to really be happy. If you're basing happiness off of stuff or experience or possession or gain or whatever it is, and not something much deeper then you're going to sell out that own capacity within you for something that's one-dimensional, that's flat. You're missing the deep capacity that God has given you for joy. Or maybe perhaps somewhere we got in our minds that being happy and joyful is kind of a bad thing, that God and pleasure are like oil and water. Hold up with that thought. God made us to feel this. Who do you think made joy and happiness? Who do you think put that within our hearts? Who do you think made us to feel and experience and enjoy pleasure from laughing to smiling to sex and marriage? It's all from God. Put in us by our Creator. If you look in the first few chapters of Genesis, God gave Adam everything good in the garden from good food to eat, to the relationship that he had with God Himself, to the surroundings around him, to the companionship that he was given in Eve. God gave him everything he needed to be happy. And furthermore, God's Word is full of the command to be joyful. The word rejoice is used in the Old and New Testament 168 times. The word joy is used in both 165 times. And the word means to be glad, to be cheerful. I like this part. To be calmly happy. To have a sense of being well off. You've met those people that are a little too happy. He's like something's wrong. Why are, why are you so happy? You're like a kid that just found out they're going to Disneyland, but it's 24-7. Something's a little off there. I think sometimes we think of being joyful as somebody that's just running around all the time, super happy. It's this deep, settled happiness I'm talking about. That deep, settled satisfaction and joy that is within our souls. I think you've experienced that because of some things we'll talk about later in the message, but that's what we're talking about. That calm, deep, settled, just joy. Now sure, sometimes it, it bubbles up and we're really happy outwardly, but this is something that's deeper. And the command is there. Rejoice! That's not a suggestion. What does the Scripture say in Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul is aligning their thinking. Rejoice in Him always. Well, what about again I say rejoice? This is a deeper joy that goes beyond just circumstance. A deeper happiness that is just based on what we can see. It's deeper. And the Word is full of it. So it's, it's something that God clearly wants for us. God wants us to be joyful. God wants us to be happy. God is perfectly happy within Himself. And He wants to give that to us. This is not a fleeting, momentary happiness. Like when you see a child open a gift at Christmas and they really like it. 
And then they get the next gift and they really like that one and they forgot about the one before. Sometimes life can be like that, right? Oh, this is so awesome. And then the next thing comes along. Oh, this is awesome. And you forgot about what was before. And then the gift you got now breaks or it goes out of use. And then you're bummed out. Just plug in different situations, but that's kind of how it goes, right? Some happiness in our life is fleeting. It's momentary. It doesn't last. The joy and the happiness that God is talking about, the gift that He wants to give us, is steady, is um, eternal. It's a joy that's higher than right now, but it permeates right now. It's a joy that's higher than circumstance, but it's here with us in every circumstance. Because if you look around, the pursuit of temporary joy has left many empty, actually. People looking for happiness are sad. Just look at the lives that so many idolize. These people in the media and in the music industry or in the acting industry, what do you see? You don't see fulfillment, you see destruction. But yet, everybody wants to be and to have and to do like those people do, but they're shells, empty shells, most of them. Look in the lives of those who live in that way, who try to live that same way. What do you see? You don't see a calm and deep satisfaction. You see depression. You see self-esteem issues. You see marriages and relationships that are failing. Internal problems. This longing for more. Because the joy that we're trying to attain, we go about in wrong ways and we try to attain a joy that is flat and one-dimensional. But the joy that God wants to give you this morning fills you. Fulfills you. It gives us satisfaction, this deep, calm, settled happiness, regardless of circumstance. It elevates your relationships. It elevates every aspect of life. You see, His gift of joy makes us truly happy. Both now and forever. Okay, so how does He give it? Because I want that, don't you? I want that joy that doesn't fade. Well, the first thing He does is God gives us joy in Christ. That is step one. In fact, you cannot have true and lasting joy without Jesus. Period. It's not going to happen. We read in our text what the angel said, right? I bring you good tidings of great joy. Literally, that word great is mega. Mega joy. Over and abundant and overflowing. This news is the best news ever. And those who heard it, what do you find them doing? They're rejoicing. The, the shepherds, they go on their way praising God. A couple chapters before, when Elizabeth meets Mary, says the, the baby in her womb, which is John the Baptist, leaps for joy. And Elizabeth is rejoicing. Oh, what a joy that I should meet the mother of my Lord. And then Mary shortly after, in her wonderful statement, says, My soul rejoices in the Lord and all that He's done for me. The wise men come. What do they do? They rejoice. Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband, John the Baptist's father, he uh, gives a statement of joy. Everybody that hears this news is happy. Why are they so happy? Because the Savior has come to us. I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The Savior has come. The One who would bear our sins. Who would bear our failings and our iniquities. The One who is wounded for our transgressions. By whose stripes we are healed. The One who would be the offering for our sin. The One who can save us. He has come to us. That is the best news ever. There's a wonderful hymn, O Holy Night, and it puts it this way. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. What a cause for rejoicing. What a reason to be happy that God has come to save us. To give us true and lasting happiness. To take away that empty feeling inside. You see, there's a void we all have. A void we are all born with. That separation from God. That empty feeling that nothing seems to fill. To fill. That's a result of sin. That's a result of being separated from God. It seems that no matter what we do, Nothing seems to satisfy it. The bottle doesn't work. The joint doesn't work. The new stuff doesn't work. Maybe for a time, but it all fades away. And we're left with that same feeling, feeling of a void. Something's missing. And when the high goes away, or the buzz wears off, or the things break, or the money is spent, nothing fills that void. That void is the separation from God that we all have because of our own sin. You see, we have failed God. We have done what is wrong. We have offended His holy nature. We've broken His law and we stand in judgment. We have deliberately disobeyed. I think of my own self as being a father. It's one thing when my kids mess up because they're kids. I think it was James Dobson. He says, don't get mad over spilled milk because kids are going to spill milk. Something along the lines, right? Kids are going to mess up. But it's one thing when I've told them to do something and they deliberately disobey. That's different. Well, listen, we've deliberately disobeyed God. We have deliberately done what He has told us not to do over and over and over you see, we naturally follow after sin, which leads us to eternal destruction outside of His mercy and outside of His grace. We go away from Him, which also means all of our desires for happiness are misguided. We thirst for the wrong things. We thirst for salt water rather than the fountain of life which He would give us. We worship and idolize the wrong things. We worship and idolize sex or money or even morality or balance and sometimes happiness itself. But those are not God. Only God can provide for us the joy that we lack. Only God can fill that void and He does that by forgiving us. By removing our sin and giving us a new righteous nature righteous nature. Christ did that for us when He died on the cross. You see, He came to save us, to bear our sins to the cross and give His life as the perfect sacrifice. In His death, the debt is paid for your sin. He gives His life as the substitute for yours. He died for you. And then He rose again from the grave to show that He has the ultimate victory over sin and death. The wages of sin is death. He defeated both when He came out of that grave. Through His resurrection, we are made alive. That's why the Gospel is not just the cross. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. On the cross, He took my place and gave His life. Through the Resurrection, He shows He has the ultimate victory over sin and death and He can give me new life. Because of Christ, we can be saved. We can be saved from sin. We can be saved from death to eternal life and eternal joy. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are made alive. The Scripture says you are born again. Your sins are gone. You are made a new person with an eternal home in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Christ became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. All things are become new. We are made new again. Eternally born again. Saved. With heaven as our home. That void, the 
I am now reconciled with God, not separated anymore. That's the basis of true joy. Let me tell you this morning, I'm happy because I'm saved. I have joy in my heart because I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And there is an eternal home that waits in heaven for me. Nothing else can do that. Nothing. Nothing else can touch that. Jesus has taken away my sins, restored my relationship with God, and forever saved me. There is a deep, calm, settled happiness in my heart because of that. Can you say the same? Well, I pray that you can. Have you trusted in Him to save you? Have you asked Him in faith to forgive your sins? The Bible says if you ask in faith, He will save you. And He wants to. Listen, you can search the whole world around. You will not find anything that will bring joy like Jesus does. Look in 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1. To me, in my mind, probably one of the most eloquent expressions of this joy that we have in our heart. As Peter writes this, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That is you this morning if you know Him as Savior. There is an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can cause it to fade. And it's waiting for you. Who, verse 5, are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly, what? Rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that which perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your, the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What a beautiful expression of the joy that we have my inheritance, my eternity waits in heaven. And I rejoice in that with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But you better believe that's going to have an effect on my life now. You see, because that is in my heart and because I am so joyful that God has given me a brand new life, I want to follow Him. He's given me joy. He is the source of joy. I want to follow Him for some more of that. You see, with this brand new life comes new desires and new inclinations, new direction for our life. Now my, my pursuit of joy is not self-centered, it's God-centered. Because I'll be following Him in faith. And God will now lead us and guide us in a life to experience not only a joy that is eternal and spiritual, but very real in our day-to-day -day lives. So God gives us joy in Christ, but He also gives us joy in making us more like Him. Psalm 16, if you would. And we'll close in Psalm 16. David writes this, and I want you to see what he writes in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 and verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to Thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. 
Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a beautiful song. Somebody who knows where joy comes from. He says at the beginning, my faith is in you. You are Lord. You are my God. You have been good to me. I'm not following things of this world. I'm following you. My delight is in your people. Verse 5, he says, you are the portion of mine inheritance. You hold my future. If you have that faith this morning, he holds the future. I know where my eternity lies. I know what's going to happen when I close my eyes in death. I'll be with Him. My future is secure. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my, of my cup. Look at the last part of the verse 5. Thou maintainest my lot. You see, He's talking about right now here too. Not only is the future in your hands, you are guiding right now. You hold right now in your hands. You see, God has laid down some lines for us. Verse 6, The lines are fallen into me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. There are guidelines in the Word of how to live, of how to act, of what to do, what God wants us to do. From being baptized to living day-to-day life, all of it is covered here. There's a big word for that, and it's called sanctification. And all that means is He's making us holy. Now let's be honest. Here's where most of us check out. Holy? That sounds like a bummer. That sounds boring. I mean, is that that what it's for? Is that why God told us to live a certain way? To make us bored? To tell us to do it out of fear? Scared? Of what happened if we don't do it? Is that what the Bible's for? (laughs) Come on, man, think about it. Listen, if you follow biblical instructions, does your life get worse? No. Only if you're carnally minded. Only if you're carnally minded. But if you follow his guidelines for being a spouse, what happens? Your marriage gets better and you are more happy. If you follow how to have a right relationship with those around you, what happens? Your relationships are better and you are happy. You find yourself more at peace as you get closer to Him and as you pray and as you read His Word and as you know that you are walking right, you have a happiness within yourself knowing that you are pleasing God. And you begin to enjoy life as it's meant to be. You see all of this as a blessing provided by Him. All of it. Listen, I spent some time in Tahoe about a week or so ago. And I am sure there are people that go to that and they see the snow and they see the trees and they worship the trees. Oh, I'm being at one with nature. Or they spend ungodly amounts of money just to get up a mountain to go skiing. I was talking to the the guys this morning. (laughs) Me and my wife are walking around saying, man, this is just money being thrown out just to go ski? I could take a sled out back of a hotel and do it for free. People paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. You know how I view it when I go there? God, you're awesome. Look at this beautiful thing. You made snow. You made the trees. You did all of this. Wow, you are good. And I enjoy it probably more than other people do through their ways, through viewing it through the biblical view, you see? Just walking around having this deep, settled joy that, man, look at the awesome God that I serve. You see how it begins to permeate throughout all of your life? Money, possessions, they have their proper place as a gift. The experiences that you have, they all have this place in this bigger picture of the joy that God has given us. 
And you see him there. The lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord because he's given me counsel. He guides me through this life. He's at my right hand. He's always before me. That gives me stability. I'm not going to be moved. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and I rejoice. I rest in hope. Why? Because I know you're there and I know you're guiding. Verse 10, you will not leave my soul in hell or the grave, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. There's such joy in that, isn't it? And listen, even through the hard times, even through the times in life when we are least likely to feel joy, we can. We can be joyful. Even as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There can be that mix in us. I say that because of what David says in verse 1. Preserve me, O God. It's as if he's writing this during a time of trial. Help me. And then he begins to process in his mind the joy that he has that surpasses his circumstances. When things are failing or when people are failing or even when our own bodies are failing, our joy is not sourced in those. You understand? My joy doesn't come from those. It comes from God. Thou wilt show me the path of life even when that path is someplace we don't want to go. Consider this. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God. Listen, you and I may go through some hard times, but it's nothing like what Jesus faced to save us. I'm not minimizing anyone's struggle, just giving us some perspective. What He faced on that cross to save us, we cannot comprehend. But yet He did. For what? The joy that was set before Him. Knowing that even though this path is hard, there is joy that is greater than all of that at the end the salvation provided for humanity, the restoration back to the Father to eternally be with Him. That joy was set before Him. And listen, Jesus is the example for us. When we go through things, we can look past them in joy knowing that God has a plan. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. He's going to take care of me. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Because in Your presence is fullness of joy. And that present might be, a, be, might be by a stream, it might be in a pasture, or it might be through the valley of the shadow of death, but He is there with us. And in His presence is fullness of joy. Knowing that whatever we may face will be worth it in the end. In Thy presence is fullness of joy, and at Thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the last thing. See, not only does God give us joy in Christ, not only does God give us joy right now in making us more like Him, but God is going to give us joy forever. If there is joy and happiness in walking with Him right now here in this life, can you imagine what it's going to be like when we're with Him forever? And ever and ever and ever in perfect joy. No more sin. No more curse. You see, heaven is the ultimate fulfillment, fulfillment of joy and happiness. It says pleasures forevermore here. Happiness forever. The Bible tells us that there is coming a day when there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more separation. The curse is gone and we will be with Him in eternal joy forever. What wonderful promises we have. That's a joy that reaches back from eternity to us and helps us right now, doesn't it? 
All of it because He came. All of it because that night God became a man that would live and give His life for us. Jesus came to save us, to give us this gift of joy. So how are you doing with this? Are you happy this morning? And if you say no, are you basing that answer on wrong things? I'm not happy because I don't have, I haven't done, I'm not fill in the blank. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, you can be happy. You can be joyful, regardless of what else might happen. You can have that calm, settled, well-off satisfaction and joy in the depths of your soul through Christ, through being more like Him and knowing where He is taking us. But it's up to you to accept a gift. I wish I could give that to you. But any joy or happiness that I might give is going to be fleeting. That joy comes through Christ. And it's a gift that God wants to give you. It's up to you to believe and receive the best news ever. That gift of eternal and ever-present joy that comes in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray these words have been helpful. Thank you for all that you have done for me in my life, Lord, and the joy that you've given me. As the, the old song says, down in my heart, because of the sacrifice and provision of your Son, Lord. I pray that there be, if there be anyone here who is struggling with this, Lord, and they find maybe a void within themselves, or they find affections and desires misguided, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself that they might find not only eternal joy in you and in your provision and your love, but a joy that is ever-present with us now. So even as we come to a time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you would draw by your Spirit those who need to come to you, that you would strengthen the joy that is in our hearts that are walking with you, Lord, and just thank you for the unspeakable gift that you have given. I ask this, in all, ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen.